0: Good morning, friends. Hey, let's try that one more time, Will's point. Good morning. Okay, there we go. Edgewood, hope you guys are joining along with us. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Um, if you are new to Stone Point and you don't have a Bible, we would love to bless you want, with one uh, at our connection point on either of our campuses. Uh, we would love to hook you up with the Bible today. But if you do have your Bible, uh, we would uh, encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 4. If you're kind of you know new to church, you got a Bible, you're like, I don't know where Romans is. It's in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's the sixth book. And so the New Testament is about the last, third of your Bible. Uh, if you get to Matthew, uh, that's the Gospels. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you got Acts, which is the start of the early church. And then you got Romans. And Romans is a letter from Paul, uh, the apostle of the church at Rome. And uh, he is giving us some incredible meat. Uh, and it's really just revealing the righteousness of God. So as you turn there, uh, I also want to take just a, a quick second and give a, a couple of, uh, I guess, commercial breaks. So the first one is Um, as you're turning there, is that two weeks from now, uh, you heard on both campuses that we have new service times. So next week, uh, not next week, uh, but the following week, uh, we're going to have a service at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. And and there's a lot of you in here like, well, why why are you changing service? And I would just say this. um, One, we want to make it difficult for you to get out of church to watch the Cowboys. So we're bumping it back a little. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh the 9 a.m. helps families and our kids ministry build to kind of wake up in the morning. Uh, we also like to have a little bit more wiggle room in between services, so that's why we have the 1045. Hey, it's an experiment, it may not work. Um, we're not all that intelligent around here, uh, but we want to give it a try. And so if you'll just be flexible as we give it a try, we could change that in a handful of weeks as we realize hey, that didn't work. And then we'll come before you as a church and say, hey, we're foolish. It didn't work. And then we'll we'll go back to a different time. Uh, but that's what we're going to do. Nine and what? 10. Now The reason you need to know that is it impacts you. Now, there's a lot of you in this service, in this room, it doesn't impact you at all. Hey, show up at the time you normally do, which means think you're coming to the 1030 and you'll be on time. Cool. Y'all got that? Shake your head. Yes. Sweet. That's what we're really shooting for. Um, So the other announcement is, as just a second ago, um, the Edgewood campus announced that Cody King, uh, which has been an internal focus, is now the full-time Edgewood campus pastor. So we can give him a hand. So uh, Cody's been on our staff for uh, over five years, but over the last couple of years, he went uh, just on a really solid theological journey with us as we went through uh, eldership, and we've just seen a ton of growth in him. We've seen a a lot of growth and just not just theologically, he's already been very solid there, but just in a lot of other ways. We just think that it's the right time and it's the right fit. Um, his wife, Casey, uh, and him are expecting a, a child just in the next uh, couple of months, uh, but she's from Edgewood. We just think it makes a lot of a lot of sense. And so um, Dick Patterson's still on our staff. Uh, Dick is also uh, over operations, which means finances and facilities, and he's got enough to do already. And so we're really freeing him up to do what God is always used him to do. But over the last couple of years, he's really filled in there, helped give some direction to that campus. But we really believe that Cody is the permanent fit and we're excited for him uh, to, to do that. And so uh, just uh, when you see him, uh, hey, encourage him, pat him on the back. And, um, and we look forward to seeing what God's going to do in Edgewood uh, with Cody and Casey and their family. Uh, let me pray for us. And then we're going to dive into Romans chapter four. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. I pray God that you would speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts and remind us of your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me catch you up real quick. Last week we were in Romans chapter 4, and the whole idea of Romans chapter 4 is that you and I need the great exchange. The great exchange or the great deposit that we talked about last week was that God in his righteousness would see fit to give us his righteousness and take on our sinfulness. The idea is that we in our sinfulness are bankrupt and we need a deposit of something with some value. And his value is that he's perfect in every way, that he's never sinned. And then he sent his son Jesus to, uh, to justify us before God and to meet, as Colossians 2 would say, the legal demands of God. And so God sent his son for us so that we by faith could have the great, deposit of righteousness in our place and that is the incredible idea that God would give us mercy instead of punishment and we get that by faith now paul is writing to the church of rome and he goes listen it's by faith and then he makes it very clear in romans 4 that it's not by our works it's not about what we do it's not about good things it's not it's not about um us you know having penance it's not about us taking communion it's not about us being a member of the church it's not about our grandfather being a pastor or our dad being a deacon it's not about any of those things it's about faith. That's how you get the great exchange or the deposit in your life. But he goes, it's not also just by, it's, it's not that it's not by uh, works. He goes, it's also not by circumcision. It's not by external measures. It's not about any of those things. And here in a few moments, he's going to say, it's also not by the law. It's not by the 10 commandments, it's not by the moral or the written code. So he's saying it is by faith that you and I get the great deposit. Now, real quickly, just to clear up something last week, if you weren't here, I shared with you what mercy looks like, what it looks like to be in front of a judge and to be condemned, to know that you're caught, um, that there is nothing you can do about it, that that they could lock you up and throw away the keys. And when I was 14, I had that experience. Now, if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go watch it online for the whole idea. But here's what I did want to just make real clear. Um, For those of you that are curious um, you can go check it out. I'll give you just a glimpse of it. When I was 14, I was caught by the law. And um, I, I was not only caught, but I was in serious trouble. And uh, the reason why is because I was, I was hunting a back road. And you don't do that, right? But I did want to make this real clear because I'm in East Texas. There's a lot of you that you understand what I did, and you just weren't caught. <laughs> okay? And so I just want to make clear to you that you need to understand That even though you weren't caught yet, okay, that it doesn't excuse you, um, that all of us will one day be found out. And so I just wanted to make that clear. I was having a couple uh, conversations. Some of you rednecks were giving me a hard time last week, and I'm like, wait a second, I know you've done it too. You just didn't get caught. So just, just make that really clear. Cool? If you're lost, go back and check it out. I think it'll be worth your time. If nothing else, you'll have a story on me that you can use for years to come. Romans 4 diving in in verse 13 up to this point in the first 12 verses Paul has said you don't have you don't have a relationship with God because of good works you don't have a relationship because of circumcision and then today starting in verse 13 he says you're not going to have a relationship with God because you keep the law so here he says this verse 13For the promise to Abraham um, are the the forefather of Israel, he says, and his offspring, that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law. You can underline that. Um, You can circle it. Um, It did not come through the law, but it came through the righteousness of faith. What he's saying is, is he says, look, the relationship that Abraham had to God, it didn't come through the law. It didn't come through the Ten Commandments. It didn't come through the civil ceremonial um, or the religious law that That Israel took part in it didn't come because they kept 613 commands and then he goes on and he makes it just very clear why and he says verse 14 for the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs he says it is faith that is null and the promise is void so he goes there are people adherents that would say well no it is the law it's keeping the law it's about keeping the Ten Commandments. It's about honoring your father and mother. It's about uh, having no idols before God. It's about uh, not, you know, um, God forbid that you would use his name in vain. It's about not murdering. It's, not about, ste- it's about not stealing. It's about all these things. And what, what Paul is saying, he goes, yeah, there are people that would say that. But he goes, if, if that is the case, then he says faith is null and void. So what he's saying is, he goes, listen, you can't have both. You cannot say, well, I believe that God loves me and he sent his son Jesus for me. And by faith, I look to Jesus, but I really think I ought to do good works because good works really make me in right standing with God. He goes, you can't say, well, but I really should be circumcised and my kids should be circumcised. Or you can't say, well, but it really is about me keeping the 10 commandments. In essence, what would be foolish of us to do is put the Ten Commandments up in our living room and then tell our kids to live by them. He goes, because you can't do both. You can't say, hey, Jesus is all that you need, but you really should do all these rules. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I grew up in. I grew up in the church, and, and Jesus obviously is the Son of God, and we were supposed to admit that we were sinners and believe in Christ Jesus, but for some reason we were we spent very little time talking about the grace that's offered through Jesus Christ and his righteousness on our life. And we spent a whole lot more time about why you shouldn't cuss and why you you shouldn't drink and about why you shouldn't do uh, things like fornication and why you shouldn't run in the church and all these external measures. The focus in a lot of ways became on moral conformity. And I think that's where the church in some ways can camp. We can live. We can say, you know what? I want to make sure that you have a faith and a relationship with Jesus And when you do that, I also want to make sure that you don't do all these other things because these things would what? Make our family look bad. And the motivation oftentimes is not centered in Christ and his righteousness. It is centered on moral conformity, good works, the law, all these different things. And what he is saying is, he goes, you can't have both. If If you want to keep the law, okay, great. If you want to do good works and circumcision, great. But you need to throw out the idea of faith. Because if you keep the law, faith is is void. If you do circumcision, faith is void. It's all null. So he goes, you got to decide. See, that's the challenge that Paul was writing to the church in Galatia. Galatia had this challenge. Galatia would say, okay, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus is perfect in every way, but I also believe that I should keep the law. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. And the reason why is because you can't have both you got to choose which one you're going to have. Are you going to have a life centered on grace through the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to have a a life centered on your good works, on the law, and external measures? Which one is it? And that's what he's addressing here to the Church of Rome. But he goes on and he says this. You need to understand what the law does. If you choose the law, you need to know what you're choosing. He says, verse 15, for the law brings wrath which you should underline or circle, put a question mark, you may throw an arrow and then write the words, go check this out and go check this out later. And the reason why is because if you begin to understand the law, you need to understand what it does bring. And he says, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So what he's pointing out is, is when you understand what the law was meant for, you understand what it points you to. So you might look at the law and you might say, well, Jesus didn't come um, to... Uh, abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. You've heard that. And you go, well, Jesus meant as as he came to to fulfill it and not to abolish it, that we should put our faith in Jesus and we should still continue to do these things. This law idea that we should do Jesus and the law. But that's not what Jesus meant at all. What Jesus means is I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it mean that he kept the law in every way. Jesus never dishonored his father and mother, did he? Could you imagine having a child parents that never disobeyed? I mean, wouldn't that be spectacular? Never talked back, never was sassy, never eye-rolled. That was Jesus. He never thought, did, or said anything that broke God's heart or law. He was perfect in every way. That's who he was. And so when you realize who Jesus was, that he fulfilled the law, you gotta ask the question, Well, was the law for? And that's why Paul writes to Timothy, and he goes, look, the law is useful if you use it properly. Here it is, he writes to Rome, and he says the law brings death. To uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, you can put this down. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Here's what he says He goes, The law is for the immoral, it's for the ungodly, it's for the lawbreaker. Why? Here's what the law does the law points out that you're a sinner, the law reminds you that you fall short. It is a mirror, a reflection of God's perfection facing you, and you look at it and, and you go, I don't measure up. I miss it. And that's what the law does. He writes to the church in Galatians, Galatians chapter three, verse 10. He says, the law is a curse. Why is the law a curse? The the law is a curse because when we look at God's perfection, we don't measure up. And so he writes to the church of Rome and he says, the law brings death. And then look what he says at the end of verse 15, because it's really important. He says, but where there is no law, there is no transgression." So he's saying, hey, look, Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness and it wasn't by the law because where there is no law, there is no transgression. And think about the timeline here. What he's saying is, he says, you got to put it into order. What happened first? Abraham had faith in God or Abraham had the law? Listen, Abraham never got the law. Abraham wasn't alive when Moses got the law in Sinai, was he? And so because he wasn't alive alive when uh, the... Israel got the law, he goes, it's really impossible to keep the law if there is no law. Could you imagine driving down the road back in the horse and the buggy days and um, the sheriff pulling you over and says, hey man, you're going a little too fast. And then you look at him, you go, what do you, what do you mean? I'm going too fast. He's like, well, you're just going faster than I'd like you to go. Well, how fast did I go? Well, you, you also, you, you went through that creek over there and you didn't stop. Well, I mean, how was I supposed to know? Could you imagine you not having any road signs? Could you you imagine not knowing what a stop sign is, but the sheriff wanted you to stop? Could you imagine that you're going too fast, but there's no speed limit to tell you you're going too fast? That's what he's talking about. He goes, how was Abraham supposed to keep a law that there there wasn't? The the law wasn't in existence at the point. So Abraham didn't know what God required until what? Later he was dead, there was a law. And so he goes, listen, it's not about the law. It's about righteousness being revealed to you. It is about God and his good pleasure giving his righteousness to sinners by faith. You look to him. That's what it is. He goes, you can get it confused. You can think, well, it's the law. It's about me doing all these good things. No, no, no. He's saying, it's not about you doing good things. It's about the righteousness of God being revealed to you. Because if there is it's difficult to have law if there's no transgression. No stop signs, it's difficult to say you can't run it. He goes on in verse 16, he says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. He's talking about Abraham here. He goes, it is by, it is by faith that the promise goes forward to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He goes, I'm writing to you guys and there are many of you that you believe that it's by the law. And he goes, and it's not too late for you to understand God's grace. He goes, you can be an inherit of the law, that's fine. He goes, but if you wanna share in the faith of Abraham, the father of all of us, slaves, free, um, Jews, Gentiles alike, barbaric, male, female. He goes, if you wanna share in the gospel, the good news, he goes, it's not too late. But he goes, you need to realize what it is that you're looking towards. If you're looking towards law, it's gonna be bad for you. If you're looking towards grace, he goes, God is there. Verse 17, he goes on, as is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Speaking of Abraham, that's the example. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Here's what he's saying. Lean in with me, because it can be a little confusing. He's writing to Abraham and if you know a little bit about the, the, the Gentile, I mean, the, the Jewish people, you know that Abraham was their father. He was the one who the nation was conceived through. But if you also know a little bit about him, you realize that Abraham didn't have the son of the promise. They had no children. And so here it is, they have no children. And, and God is saying in Genesis chapter 15, hey, you're going to be the... You're going to be the father of the promise. And if you can imagine Abraham going, okay, but I'm almost 100 years old and my wife is 90 and she's never conceived and we've tried, how in the world is this going to happen? And that's the idea here. That's why he's throwing back to Abraham. He's going, look, you need to know that it was when he believed in Genesis chapter 15 that all of this comes to existence. And he who gives life to the dead is the one who did this. He goes on in this, in verse 18. And in hope, he believed against hope. And he's talking about Abraham. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, what does that even mean? I don't know about you, but I, as I read my Bible, often I'm like, man, I don't know what that even means. Anybody, has that ever happened to y'all? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. That happens to me every day, just so you know that. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta go look this up and I gotta go kind of check this out a little bit more. But let me give it to you in the NIV so you can see it a little bit more. He just says it this way. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Let me... Let me put it in a way that you can understand. God is saying, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham who brings life to the dead by faith. And he says, Abraham believed God when it was hopeless. That's what he means. So Abraham, he looks at his wife and she's 90. He looks at himself in the mirror and he's 100. 100 and they, they don't have a child. And he goes, this is hopeless, right? No, that wasn't his response. He goes, while it looks like it's hopeless, God, I believe you. I believe that you're gonna do what you can do. So in essence, what he's saying is, God, when there is no way, I believe you'll make a way. I believe somehow When there's no way, you're going to do something. Isn't that true of Israel later on? They're in captivity for 400 years to to the Egyptians. The the, uh, Israelites go free uh, on this incredible miracle as God prepares them uh, for the Passover. They get to the Red Sea. It seems that if there is no way, God then makes a way. Moses, put your staff into the water and God parts it when there is no way, God makes a way. Here's the idea here. He goes, Abraham, by faith, when there was no way, God made a way. He looks at his wife Sarah and he goes, this isn't gonna, like, how's this gonna happen? We've been trying for years to have a child. We have no child. God says, I'm gonna make you the father of all nations. You're going to bless many peoples. Your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And Abraham says, I believe. Now listen, that was not his wife's response. (laughs) His wife, when told you're gonna bear a child, laughed at the face of God. Hence the name Isaac, laughter, the son of laughter. Why? Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Sarah doubted, laughed at the face of God. By his grace, they conceive a son, the son of laughter, Isaac, he is the son of the promise in which all the nations of the earth, when you put your faith in Christ, can be blessed. Not in the law, not in circumcision, and not in good works, but in Christ. By grace, through faith, all of Abraham's uh, offspring can be blessed. That's the idea. Why? Because God made a way. So in three, we're gonna say together, including the Edgewood campus, God made a way. One, two, three. God made a way. That's the idea here. God made a way. Now, listen, let me explain something to you real quickly. When God makes a way, that doesn't mean that we don't partner with him. I think oftentimes we live in a culture where we're praying, God, would you make a way while we plan to sit still? We go, God, can you do this? And we intend to do nothing to help. It is in partnership with him, which I I think is we gotta be careful to, in some ways, just proclaim it with our voice. God's gonna make a way and then we don't do anything. That's why James in chapter two says, faith without works is dead. So we don't depend on works to get something accomplished. We depend on faith, but we do partner with God. For instance, let me put it to you this way. Would we ever have received the promise of God if, if Abraham and Sarah wouldn't have decided to, to lay together and conceive, no. See, what you need to realize is Sarah and Abraham did not have an immaculate conception. It wasn't the birth of Jesus where God put the spirit into a, a young woman. That's not what we have here. What we have is God saying, I'm going to do an incredible thing. Abraham says, by faith, I'm going to work towards that end. I'm going to go lay with my wife and behold, God's Word comes to fruition. They have a child and all the nations are blessed. See the partnership? Faith with works. So faith without works is dead. So for you to say, hey, God's going to make a way and you don't partner with him in anything, it's crazy. So for us to say, oh, God's going to save the nations and we don't partner with him in sharing with the nations, then we're foolish. God's going to change our community. We we, we say he's going to change our community, but we don't do anything to help point our community to Christ. Our community is not going to change. God is not going to go before us and do everything miraculous. Although he can, he's waiting for us to partner with him in the gospel. The gospel is heralding, proclaiming the good news wherever we go. So friends, if we have faith in Christ because of his righteousness overtaking our sin, then we should herald, proclaim. We should tell people about Him and partner with Him in the gospel. That's the idea. Church, do you know why you exist? The only reason you have breath in your lungs in the midst of a a, a huge pandemic that fills our lungs and ultimately brings about the corrosion of them is that you and I would be reminded the only reason we're sustained, whether we have COVID or not, is because He breathes into us. The only reason that you and I, only reason I don't just drop before you is because God in his rich mercy continues to fill my breath with lungs. Not because of anything I bring to the table, but simply because he is good and faithful. And what I would tell you is this, the only reason I have breath in my lungs is to herald and proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's the only reason I exist. It's the only reason you exist. To partner with him by faith in doing the work of God church what would it look like if we understood this truth which verse 19 as he began to realize like hey I'm the father of all the nations the offspring of the world's going to be blessed by my faith look what it says in verse 19 he did not wait, weaken in his faith abraham hey w- he didn't shrink back when he considered his own body i mean could you imagine looking at them in the mirror if you're abraham being 100 years old and going i'm as good as dead that's what he looked, that's what he says. He did not weaken, Abraham did not weaken his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Why? Because he was almost 100 years old, is what the text said. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So not only has she been barren all her life, he looks at her and she go, he goes, man, she's almost 90 and I'm 100, I'm as good as dead. That'd be a really good reason for us to not partner in the gospel. Reminds me of a guy named Moses. Moses says, I wanted you to go speak to Pharaoh. And he goes, I'm I'm not eloquent. I, I have nothing to offer. And what does he say? Yes, you do. Go. Take Aaron, your brother, and go and speak. Do you see the picture here? The, the picture is, is that he could have shrunk back. Abraham could have made up excuses. He could have said, you know what, God, you, you don't want to do anything with me, but he didn't shrink back. He, he didn't look at his body and go, you know what? I don't have anything to offer. Friends, that means that you and I, we don't look in the mirror and go, God, you can't use me. I don't have a, a, a good story. God, you can't use me because I don't even know how to tell people about the Bible. Hey, God, you can't use me. Listen, can I tell you by faith and partnership with God, he can use anyone? That's the idea. Why? Because God breathes life. And here's the big picture of this morning. God can take anything dead and bring it to life. Why? Because that's what he's always done. He takes a barren womb and he brings it to life. He takes a man who had a hundred who's as good as dead and he says, I'm going to bring life. I'm going to use your seed to bless the nations. Why? Because he was circumcised? He goes, no, Abraham didn't even realize circumcision was a thing. Because Abraham was really good and had a lot of good works and had his life together. No, Abraham was a fool and had done poor things before because he kept the law. No, the law didn't exist. He didn't even realize there were stop signs and that there was gonna be a sheriff that would would stop him. He, He didn't get that. So what does he do? By faith, even though he looks at his life and he's as good as dead, he believes that God can bring life. And what does God do? He brings life. Can I tell you that's the story of your Bible? Your Bible, the Old Testament tells you about a nation that dies. They wither away like a fig tree that Jesus curses. And then Jesus brings life. And what he does is he takes 12 apostles, one who's dead um, and and is not going to be useful, and then 11 who were dead that he makes alive and they change the world. And they point people to a God who brings about life. And they witnessed the miracles of Jesus all about bringing life. You know, the first miracle they witnessed Jesus bringing life to uh, was, was not a miraculous healing. It was at Cana, Cana and Galloway in J- uh, John chapter two. They're in Cana. Jesus takes some water because the wedding banquet runs out of wine and he takes something and miraculously he recreates it. He doesn't take water and mix it with some Kool-Aid and go, hey, here's some wine. He takes water. He recreates it, gives an entire new paradigm of life and they have the best wine they've ever had. He takes something that did not exist as grapes, but as water and he ferments them by his voice and a spoken word and he recreates. He takes Abraham's barren wife and gives her life. He takes water and turns it into wine. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, they're. Um, they're beside themselves because their brother Lazarus had died. Jesus was late to the party. They run out to him outside of the city and they go, Jesus, if you had been here, my my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, uh, knowing that what he's going to do goes into the town anyway. And guess what? When he gets to Lazarus' grave, uh, Martha says, hey, listen, you need to step back because my brother's tomb stinketh." And Jesus goes, hey, step back. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And a guy who is dead is brought to life. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see the picture that God takes dead men, sinful, wretched, darkened hearts, and every day he brings them back to life. He is still doing it today as he did then. He has taken broken, beaten down wineskins, and he's recreating them, restoring them, and he's pouring his goodness into them. He has taken a temple that was shattered and broken. He's restoring it and he's filling them with his presence. That would be you and me. He has taken darkened hearts and he's restoring them to life. He's taking blind men that can't see the depravity of their ways and he is giving them new life, restoring them. Friends, that is the church, the ecclesia. That is the goodness of God. It is his righteousness, for sinners. Amen and amen, and amen. Hey, that's I think maybe a time like the church would clap right there. I think. I think that's right. Which is a great example that you and I need to know. The church is not not meant to be dead. Why in the world do we continue to fill dead churches? Can I help you understand? Jesus took something that was dead and brought it back to life. That's what he did with Abraham. That's what he's doing now. And get this, verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. Look at verse 21, the definition of faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is the definition of faith. What is faith? It's being fully convinced that God's gonna come through on his promise. That's it. Faith is saying God is at work and I'm gonna join him. I believe. Ephesians 3.20 means that he could do abundantly more, immeasurably more in the NIV than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. The the reality is God is at work and all we gotta do is join him. Look where he's moving and then partnering with him in the gospel. That is it. He's about giving life and we should be fully convinced that he wants to move. In verse 22, and that is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is the whole theme of chapter four. If you don't understand a word I've said today, I could sum it up to you in one verse, verse 22. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't because he was a good person. It wasn't because he kept the law. It wasn't because he was circumcised or had his family circumcised on the eighth day. He goes, it wasn't about any of those things because most of those things didn't even exist then. He goes, all it was about Being fully convinced of what God was going to do, he believed him. Do you believe God can forgive you? That no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, or what's been done to you, that God could forgive you? You know how many men over the years have told me, Pastor, you just don't understand what I've done? I'm like, hey, dude, you don't understand what I've done. Only difference between me and you is I never got caught. Oh, I did, didn't I? I did get caught. But I think that's what we look at. We, we look at all the times we got caught. We look at all the things that we've done and we go, how could God, how could God, how could he change me? How, how could God, how could he save a person? Like, Do you know what I've done? Do you, you know where I've been? Do you know the things I've, that I've, I've created, the messes, the situation? And I'm like, it's not too big for a God who makes a way. It's not too big for a God who takes empty and broken vessels and can fill them up for his service. Friends, can I just tell you that that's what the church is about? I, I think all of us could share experience in our life if we were honest and vulnerable with one another of, of areas that we've really missed the mark. I mean, I think a lot of us, we go, I, I don't even want to tell people what I've done because it's so embarrassing, it's so dark. And I would just tell you, I've had those moments too. If you knew, just had a glimpse of my mind for just a moment, you would go, oh my gosh, I gotta get out of his head because I'm a mess. But because of God's grace, I have been changed. Not because of what I've done, but because it's been counted to me as righteousness by the grace of God, which is why you have verse 23. Verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, friends. It's not just about Abraham. It's not just about what he did for Sarah and and for Israel. It's about what? Us also. Verse 24, but it is also for us. It would be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, that's the idea. You and I too can have faith in Christ and we too can be changed. There's a really cool story in Mark chapter 5. There's a guy named Jairus who was the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus, his daughter, who's 12 years old, was very sick and lay ill at home. Jairus goes to Jesus and heard about him and, and says, Jesus, would you please come to my house? My daughter is not doing well. She's very ill and about to die, which Jesus agreed to go to Jerry's house. As they go to, uh, to Jerry's house though, Jesus gets hung up. He gets caught by a woman who reaches out to him and, and touches him on his robe. In which Jesus replied, hey, who was that? Well, it happened to be a woman who had this ailment this in which she oozed blood. And it wouldn't stop. And it continued to be a problem all the years of her life. And, and when she touched Jesus, it said that literally the blood stopped. Well, Jesus was interested in knowing who that was. As he's dealing with her, meanwhile, there's a report that comes from Jairus and his servants that his daughter who laid ill at home has now died. Could you imagine being Jairus? Knowing that, that another woman who has had this ailment and this this physical problem that couldn't be explained by doctors has now been healed before your very eyes and your daughter whom Jesus was going to the house to heal has now died and it seems to be too late. Could you imagine the emotions? I and mean, Do you think Jairus is happy for this woman? I don't know the condition of his heart. I just know the condition of mine. Jesus heals, has this conversation with this woman who now is, is free And then Jesus says, Jairus, let's go. Jairus is going, my my daughter's dead. He goes, hey, listen, we're going anyway. They get to the house. Meanwhile, the report is, hey, Jairus' daughter is is dead. She's inside the room. And Jesus then says, she is not dead. She's merely asleep. And which the response is in Mark chapter five, everyone laughs at Jesus and his face. Jesus, meanwhile, clears the room. He walks in with Jairus and his wife Everything is still in silence and all at once, Jesus says, kumi! little girl, little maid, arise. And all at once, a 12-year-old girl comes to life. Friends, can I tell you that that is still happening now? I have a dear friend that just within the last 48 hours, passed away. Um, His name was Hugh Carnes. He was a member here. He was uh, very integral in our Edgewood campus. A handful of years ago, we did Advance 2020 and uh, Hugh led the charge for our Edgewood campus. He was a part of our eldership journey. Matter of fact, Hugh uh, was one of the final uh, handful of men that would have been an elder here. Um, And here's the deal. Here's what I would tell you is that in this very moment, Paul says that to be absent of the bodies to be present with the Lord, He has had his complete and total healing. The the prayer that I think that many of us prayed for Hugh and his family was that God would fill him with the capacity in his lungs to breathe. And I would say he has got all of that. Tuesday, we're gonna celebrate Hugh's life on our Edgewood campus. And here's what I would tell you. Eight years ago, eight years ago, Hugh would have been sitting in this seat hearing this message and Hugh would have said, man, I don't understand all this. Because of God's grace, Hugh began to understand what God had done for him, the magnitude of the weight. Hugh would have told you, and just within the last handful of months, would have said, man, eight years ago, he was like, man, eight years ago, I, I, I was a mess. Eight years ago, I thought I had it all together. I mean, I went to church and have for a long time, but I wasn't involved. I wasn't committed. I, I was just a churchgoer. I just kind of did the thing when I was supposed to do the thing. My, my wife would drag me along, and usually it was one of those things. And he goes, and then... He goes, I came to this place. And he goes, and then I came to know and understand the love of Jesus. And then I was discipled. And then I began began to know and understand God's word. And then God brought him home. And he healed him, completely restored him. And what I want you to understand is this. We partner with God in faith through prayer, knowing that God will bring it to fruition. And for Hugh, he brought it to total fruition. And I can't think... um, But I can't help but think about what it looks like for you to no longer have to worry about Republican or Democrat (laughs) or vaccine or no vaccine or like he's just free of all the worries and the fretting of this world. And it's what we should be living for because that is what God is in the business of doing. Saving people and restoring them. Not because they're good, not because they get it together, but because they partner with God in faith and they believe Him. And when they believe that He is the one who can restore their soul, He forgives them and places His righteousness on them. And it's a beautiful picture of God's goodness and mercy and grace because the judge has pardoned the condemned. Church, may you herald the good news louder than you root for the boys this afternoon by all means, root for the boys. But don't make that your life. Make the one who gives life your life. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for your work in the gospel. We thank you for your work through your word. Lord, would you transform our hearts? Lord, would you remind us of your grace? Lord, would you remind us that we are not to keep a bunch of ceremonial and civil and religious laws or dietary laws. Lord, it is simply about trusting in you and your son, the one who makes a way. Matter of fact, in John chapter 14, your son said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except by me. Father, may we put our trust in him. May we see Jesus as the one who made a way, sinless, perfect, never sinned, so that he could be crucified on a sinner's cross, so that sinners could be made righteous. Lord, thank you for that truth. Would you give us understanding? Would you bring dead hearts to life? In Jesus' name, amen.